I'm Mary Schuster, and this is RamQuest Pandemic Practices Podcast. My guest today is a favorite colleague and friend who brings to the podcast a unique perspective from being at the tip of the spear when it comes to digital closings. Brooks Yeager and I were early believers in the eventual evolution of digital closings into the real estate arena, and we jumped in with both feet. Then we stayed there for years, waiting for the market to decide that digital closing tools were more than a gimmick. Fast forward to spring of 2020, when Brooks had the serious challenge of being at the helm at Pavasso, when all of a sudden, digital signings went from being a boutique niche differentiator product for some banks and a few title companies to what appeared at the time to perhaps be the sole tool for saving closings during a pandemic. As with most things, the pendulum swings, business processes are refined, and no viable product is either the nothing burger that its critics think it is, nor the alpha and omega silver bullet that zealots insist it should be. But as you continue to evaluate, assess, and acclimate towards a strategic right placement of digital signings in your company, we thought it'd be valuable to hear more about the history and evolution of digital signings, the considerations to be weighed, and where an expert in the field thinks the demand push will come, and what he recommends for you to do today. The reason I thought Brooks was just perfect for these topics is that he brings a pragmatic and balanced outlook. He is candid and realistic when he discusses how and when folks should prepare, adopt, and become ready to conduct a mix of business in a digital closing arena. You said you want us to keep visiting this topic because it's new and you're not yet 100% comfortable, that you need more knowledge and some guidance through the dizzying array of options. So today, Brooks Yeager, president of RamQuest and Pavasso, brings to the pod his thoughts on the progression of the digital closing. Brooks Yeager, welcome to Pandemic Practices. Thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy. Too bad we can't be talking in person. I know it. I know it. We are ultra socially distanced. I was thinking about this interview this morning. Couldn't help but remember, I grew up in Wichita and we had an amusement park that was built in the 50s called Joyland. And I mean, when you got to go to Joyland, it was a big deal. And one of the coolest things about Joyland was there was an old style wooden roller coaster also built in the 50s. And it was the thrill ride of the park, partially because you weren't sure if it was going to stay standing through your ride. But what was really cool about it is you'd have the anticipation of standing in line, you'd finally get your seat and away you'd go. And then it was this slow, slow crawl up 75 feet and it seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. And you'd sort of be hanging on ready because you knew what was coming, but it just took forever. And by the way, when you reach 75 foot height in Kansas, that means you can see the whole state from that vantage point because it's flat. There's nothing in the way. But once you finally hit the top of that hill and crested, then you know, you're off. Hang on because it was going to be a crazy two minutes. You're going to get whipped around and you were going to go very fast, but it was a ball. And I would imagine leading up to COVID and then COVID might have felt something similar. I've heard you described as some COVID madness. So tell everybody a little bit about what that's been like. You just kind of jogged my memory of growing up in Denver and we had a little amusement park down in the city. I want to say it was like Lakeside yeah, and it had an old roller coaster. But the thing that I remember most about it was a haunted house. Yeah. Old school. There's maybe a two seater. It was a metal thing. You went in and it was dark. It wasn't so much the witches or whatever jumped out to scare you. It was the fact that this thing was so jerky. You would take a turn. It would slam you against the wall. (laughs) You were more scared of just getting hurt in the dark than you were over the haunted house. So I'd say maybe that was more along the lines of what COVID uh, has been going into the dark. You might get hurt, but hey, here we are today. And it really has been interesting. 
like everything in this industry, it takes a long time for us to incorporate new processes, new technology, and there's a lot of red tape and they just don't move fast. And it's the way it is, even when you have something like a digital closing that makes so much sense and can streamline things, make it easy for people to close at home and can arguably be much more secure than some of the closing practices that we have today. But we're at that point where we're bringing on banks, got some title customers, we're working with them hand in hand and all of a sudden the world ends and it's just complete chaos overnight because everybody has this fear that they can't be closing in person or that they might not even be able to. Some states got to the point where, you know, they weren't going to be closing in person. The offices were getting shut down and people were trying to scramble to find alternatives. So the digital closing vendors were slammed with requests. Did it just turn on overnight? Did it evolve rapidly? What was the experience like? I don't know exactly what the numbers would be as far as new requests we had from customers to go through implementation. But let's say maybe five new customers in a week would probably be around the average pre-COVID. Overnight, we went to the point where we were getting over 100 requests today. Maybe 150 new requests today would probably be the average. When you have a service like that, that goes from a nice to have, and we might need it someday to all of a sudden, we feel like we need this right now today, that's going to obviously bring people to you in a different mindset and a different posture. Were people still very hesitant to kind of jump in or were they ready to just run through the brick wall because they felt like they were going to need to have the capability or what did that go like? A lot of people didn't understand exactly what it took to do digital closing or even understand the different types of digital closings that were out there. It was just, I've got to have this today. I've got a closing. I can't do it in person. You need to help me. And we did the best we could. And what happened with that was people did learn what they needed to do. I would say out of all of it, it was a fire that forced people to get trained to understand what digital closings were. Did it really become something that the vast majority of them started to incorporate on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Not really, but it definitely lit the fire and uh, created a need to learn. And they thought it was the answer. But in reality, what ended up happening a lot was that business went on as usual. That business found a way without changing the processes. So people got creative with their drive up closings, their mail aways, and found ways to learn about the digital closing process, but at the same time, find different ways to do things for those first few months, you know, call it April, May, June. And then by the time you got to July, I think people kind of settled into what was and still is the normal process. Well, in a lot of states, when we're talking about last March, did not have legislation or an executive order or anything that would allow folks to actually conduct things electronically, or at least the notarization. So kind of walk folks through what it was like to sort of start getting all those executive orders and legislative changes and try to tune to all those things, because it has to have been confusing for not only you guys trying to keep up with it, with the customers too, trying to adjust, trying to learn this and figure out what the rules of the road were. And so tell us a little bit about that, would you? We had a lot of people involved with monitoring the individual state regulations, the emergency executive orders, and we at the same time had to make sure we had the controls in place in Pavasso to make sure we weren't allowing somebody in a state to do something that they couldn't. There was a lot at work to make sure that the system was going to accommodate what was allowed in the state regulation. But really interesting scenarios that came up. One of the most memorable was Pennsylvania at one point. 
We had already been approved in a large number of states for RON transactions, but Pennsylvania and their executive order had Pavasso listed as the only digital closing vendor that could be used that had been certified. So what did that mean? Because we were classified as real estate transactions, didn't matter. We were still at that point, the only digital vendor that was approved. So everybody in different industries was reaching out to us. Can't tell you how many people from the automobile industry in Pennsylvania had reached out to us trying to get on Pavasso. But this was common everywhere. When they'd see us on a state approved list, they were reaching out and uh, we just really had to tell them we're, we're for real estate transactions only. So it uh, just kind of went on, which is this onslaught of chaos and monitoring the state regulations and uh, adapting to those. And that's been part of the frustration, I think, for some of us in this space is our industry. And by that, I don't mean title and settlement exclusively. Certainly, the real estate industry as a whole has been a little bit slower to adopt while other industries are clamoring for this or have already been engaged in it for a while. We've talked a lot on the podcast in several episodes about some of those reasons for barriers. It is a little bit hard to gauge the demand because the demand, it sounds like, is getting buffered a little bit by stakeholders who aren't quite certain of the risk profile with these deals. And I think that those will certainly begin to iron out. I participated in something the other day that I never thought I'd participate in, never thought I'd see the day, which was virtual court. And I mean, courts are doing this all the time. So if everybody comes up to this standard of accepting it, then we're hoping, I guess you're hoping that several of these emergency orders that have expired will actually get into a legislative session and get some tighter rules of the road put around it. Or what do you kind of see as the pathway to adoption on a larger scale from the industry players? There are a number of things in place to create a uniform process. Texas was looked at as the model legislation. And really for it to keep moving forward, it would be nice to have some type of uniformity there in different state laws. But there were so many nuances up front there. You had within executive order, the ability to do a RON transaction in your state, but some states you had to have your e-notary certificate in that individual state. Some states allowed you to close in another state as long as you were certified in your state. You got into all those different pieces. They still exist out there. I think the bigger issue is just more along the lines of people adopting the process, spending the time, banks getting more comfortable with it. I think that is a big hurdle that we still haven't crossed is more banks trying to push the process. But there are so many different things as we've gone through a a year now and have this fire and there's dozens of different things that uh, have prevented this. And legislation, while it certainly is one of them, I don't even think that's probably the biggest hurdle for us to cross. Sounds like you got a lot more agents and banks onboarded during the pandemic madness. Walk us through sort of then the fall and the winter. Did things kind of plane out and into something that feels a little bit different now? Or after that initial onslaught, what was it like? When we kind of got over the bump, we now had thousands of title agents up and certified, able to do digital closings, hundreds of lenders in that same boat. And I think the term that probably describes it best is the vast majority of them had just kind of stuck their toe in the water. They learned about the process. They went through implementation. They stuck their toe in the water. Probably did a few digital closings, but the biggest uh, thing that got in the way was a good thing. And that was the fact that business was absolutely booming. 
and still is. Real estate transactions were hot. And when it came down to a bank, a title company going, okay, let's implement, let's try doing this new process. Let's go ahead, let's learn it. Let's try and do this on a few deals. Let's offer it up. The reality was we're already paying overtime to our employees to close as many deals as we can. They're working on Sundays. The pipeline is completely full. Do we really want to take the time to do something that's new that could take us a couple extra hours to implement because we're not familiar with it, where we just have to close these deals? The reality was no. Most of the time they were going back to doing whatever they could to close deals and digital closing was not in the path. And that's still a common scenario out there today. You and I obviously have known each other a long time. And one of my favorite things about you is that you're not coming on here and saying, hey, guess what, guys, the train's already left the station. And if you weren't on it, oh my gosh, it's going to run you over. And you're so much more pragmatic and reasonable about the approach. And so as people who are sitting out there trying to evaluate where this should live in their book of offerings, kind of talk through what you think after the big rush of, oh my gosh, we've got to have this. And then, well, maybe we don't, maybe we don't. What's sort of the normal path of acceptance? Factor COVID out for a minute. How do you see going back to or progressing to a normal path to acceptance or adoption and need? So we're really at that point where we can remove COVID and where I think we are on a normal path. And let's go back even further. Digital closings technology has been around for a while. You could possibly even argue uh, over 100 years ago, there were scenarios where a property was going to be transferred and somebody would use a telegraph to go ahead and send the signal up to an attorney to release the property. Is that a digital closing? Maybe, kind of. In its day, yeah, it was. And so going back, you know, your e-sign act is signed in 2000. I mean, was the technology ideal up till now? Maybe not. We can share a fun story that we have because Pavasso was more or less inspired by technology. And I don't know how many people out there had actually experienced this device, but it was called the DocuPad. And oh, describe that device a little bit, would you? Today you hear that you think it was an iPad or what was going on? So the DocuPad, when you purchase the vehicle after you've wrapped up, you're going in to sign all the documents and they take you back into the office and they try to sell you whatever extra insurance, tire insurance, whatever. The DocuPad was a device that was built into the table and it gave them the ability to display a full document for you. And you had a special pen that you would actually sign right on the table. It was very innovative in the sense that it gave you this futuristic feel of, all right, I'm not actually using paper. But yet you could still see the document and it could flip around and the automobile purchaser could sign it and it could go back over to the dealership employee. They could sign it. They could click on links in the document. It would give you a little video or a pop-up to show you, oh, what type of insurance options are available. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the inspiration that started down the road of, well, what if we incorporate a device. And back in 2013, we didn't have the ability to sign on tablets and iPads the way we can today and video cameras. That was where we kind of got it started. We did, but I feel like we should tell people, what do you think the DocuPad weighed? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of my favorite story would be where we brought it out to DC. Well, there was an NBA conference going on. We had an appointment scheduled with the CFPB. Uh, we had a couple other lender meetings at that same time. The DocuPad, as I could describe it, would probably be about, would you say, maybe like a 40 inch TV that you would see today, like a 
flat mount TV, but not even as light as the LEDs that you hang. Oh, not that light. No. I mean, it was like 80, 85 pounds. In the case, I think the FedEx bill, the actual unit in its case was over 100 pounds. Yeah, yeah. And guys, when Brooks says case, you have to understand, we schlepped this thing around. The case was like roadies for bands. When they put everything, like the light board or soundboard or whatever, in the big case with the rivets. This is what you and I schlepped around. A good portion of the United States, by the way. It's not as glamorous as it sounds, right? It was a heavy-duty case. (laughs) We had to get the biggest SUV we could. And then keep in mind, when we were hauling that thing around, we weren't wearing our sweatpants. Oh, no, no. We were dressed for success. Yeah. We're about to go into a meeting with the CFPB and we're in suit and tie. Yeah. Trying to pull a hundred pound device out of an SUV. Mm-hmm. You remember one where we couldn't fit it in the elevator. It was too big to get in the small elevator and the parking garage. And we had to lift this hundred pound device up the stairwell, jockeying it to get it up two floors, sweating bullets. And, and then run inside and you had to lay the docupad on top of the table. And get under the table and plug it in. And it looked good on top of the table. But much like the Wizard of Oz, underneath the table, behind the curtain was a full PC that we had to plug in and it was running on cables underneath. So people felt it was kind of like a tablet, but it wasn't as cool when you looked underneath the table. Yeah. And everybody had the same reaction, whether they were a lender or a regulator or title agent. They all said, ooh cool. Can I play with it? And we said, sure. We handed them the pin. They were so cautious. They were afraid they were going to break it. We're like, no, go ahead. It's fine. So there was always this wow, sex appeal, but everybody was a little hesitant too, a little reticent. And they all said, we know one day this is where all this is going. We just don't know when the day is. Did it pretty much stay that way until the pandemic or did it come on a little stronger as the giant docupad was no longer needed? It's progressed slowly, very slowly. So now that the technology is there and you have all the different pieces from ID validation tools that you can use, facial recognition tools incorporated with knowledge based authentication questions, all these different things you can do to make sure it's secure. And of course, great technology with the iPads and the surfaces and everything else that we have out there. But it is still a very slow hill that we're going up, even though we had all these people come and stick their toe in the water. Don't get me wrong. It is doubled from what it was a year ago. Still, we're looking at uh, MERS numbers for February, 50 some thousand e-notes in MERS. That's a very small percentage of all the closings that took place in February. So the reality is that number is slowly going up and it's going to just take everybody to start learning the process, pushing it more. There's no docupads anymore, so we can remove that component. Everything is there. We just need some regulation to help facilitate the process and we need uh, more people to get on board with it. But it will get there. It's going to be a slow climb. Well, and I think absent some other event of, hey, everybody shut back down for whatever reason, zombies, I don't know, that would again create a super high demand. I would assume zombies need to buy houses too. I don't know. I'm concerned that there are folks out there that are going to say, I'm just going to wait. And when I have to do this again, then I'll jump on board. And it sounds like you're cautioning against one, waiting until there's another big stampede in that direction, because then you're in a long queue and then it's crisis time when they're having to learn this. But it sounds like you're kind of advocating at this point for folks a middle way with signing some different things. Is that kind of where you're advising folks to go at this point? 
I get asked that question a lot. As much as we all want to see, a lot of people have worked very hard on RON legislation and getting it going. It's still going to be a slow climb up. And people that ask me, all right, do I need to go full on? Do I need to have all the staff ready to do RON closings and IPEN closings? Would certainly urge you to be able to do them, have enough people to do them on the RAM quest side. We've got ready to close and tools like that where you are getting those preliminary documents. I think that is the best first step forward you can do to start incorporating a digital component into your closing because that is so much better for the consumer. They get the documents faster. They can ask questions in advance. What do they really want in the end? They want that closing to be fast. They want their keys. And how do you do that today? You use something like a ready to close that gives them the ability to sign their documents in advance and turn that that final closing into a 15 minute closing where they can just eat their cookie, get their keys, sign a few pieces of paper or do it electronically and get out of there. I think that's the best first step forward. And then using that as a segue into, okay, we're comfortable with this piece. Now do we want to start incorporating an in-person electronic notarization? And then do we want to start offering RON signings? And how do you get to the point where you can have a whole suite of digital closing options for consumers? Let's talk about where things are going a little bit. What can people expect looking out over the next, I don't know, couple years? Certainly just as the process evolves, there will be better processes for authentication. That's another area that can be a hurdle when you're going into a RON session and we need to make sure that all the parties going into the closing transaction are who they say they are. We've all done those knowledge-based authentication questions. Most of the time you can get them, but I can't remember old addresses. Sometimes our old zip codes, or we get to the scenarios where you have a younger buyer who hasn't established a whole lot of credit yet. They may not have enough questions in there to really generate enough for those knowledge-based authentication questions or foreign nationals. That's probably the most common scenario we have is somebody buying a house in the US uh, from Europe or wherever. They can't even get KBA. So a lot of times they're going to have to go through in-person ID validation. But as this progresses, we do now have a tool that allows us to validate validate foreign driver's licenses and foreign passports. But I think one piece that we will see is better tools around ID validation, scanning of your face, matching it up with a photo in a state database. And they are out there now. It's just how effective are they? Are states accepting that? And we really have to go through ABA and ID validation for RON transactions to make sure they're secure. So I think that part of it will get better. And then uh, the tagging process will certainly get better. And then also as we evolve to it, we'll get into what tools can you use? How is the overall user experience going to be more streamlined, easier for the consumer to maneuver through the digital closing? So some of those are where we've got people that might come to a closing with a 10-year-old laptop that doesn't have a webcam and they don't know it until the day of closing. So one of the few places where technology does become a hurdle when people aren't up to date with what they have or internet connections can also be issues at times. It's all headed in the right direction. Biggest thing is really just general acceptance, general education, and more people trying to push the digital initiative as they move forward. So I wonder, you know, obviously you mentioned the ceremony with the keys on a purchase. And I think, you know, by all reports, a measure of that is going to remain in place. But if you were going to forecast out with regard to refi borrowers two or three years from now, can you speculate on a percentage of those refi transactions that you think will be 
100% digital? It's really hard to even say what's going on today. So I mentioned the MERS numbers of 50 some thousand in a monthly basis. And you'll see people out there saying, well, we did 100,000 digital closings last month. What is the definition of a digital closing? Is a digital closing you just doing those preliminary documents? Well, technically part of the transaction was signed digitally. So can you call it a digital closing? Yes. To me, a digital closing really means you've gone further than that. Maybe not necessarily an e-note, but at least seller side documents are being done today. We don't know the actual numbers of what that looks like industry wide. You've got to think that somebody that is going through a refi would like to make it as easy and as quick as possible and not necessarily have to go into an office to physically sign the documents. I've got to think that area is going to grow significantly. That one will be heavily dependent on the lenders adopting the process, pushing the process, and then the title community coming in and being able to support that with their platforms. But I think the purchase side is going to take longer. With the exception, it sounds like, anecdotally of cash deals. It sounds like cash deals are going crazy in the electronic world. So it tells you that the consumer demand exists. It's not universal, but that tells you the consumer demand exists. So we keep coming back to a lot of these things with the notes, especially need to get ironed out. And I don't say that meaning it's somebody else's job to iron it out. I think collectively, we all have to help get it ironed out and mainstream and accepted. Because if we were as an industry having stars in our eyes that were something that there was no demand for, we wouldn't be doing these things on cash transactions. There would just be no demand. Yeah, no, I completely agree. All right. What else do you see evolving and changing in the near to mid future? It'll be really interesting to see if we do have any additional legislation changes. One piece that's out there, and I'm not saying that I'm a huge advocate of it, but as we had emergency executive orders were the RIN components. And I think a lot of people have just labeled RIN as, oh, this is a horrible idea. That might be in part Georgia and some other states came out and said, okay, we can just record a Zoom session. That's good enough to be constituted as a RIN. Yeah, that's a bad idea. But at the same time, if you use KBA, if you use ID validation, you could argue that it is more secure than a mail away that's being commonly done out there today where we're still mailing out documents. And so many people in industry movement labeled RIN as jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. Well, no. If you're just going to say you're jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, yeah, that's a bad idea. But what if you go to the parachute school? What if you're strapped to an expert and you have a parachute and you're doing this safely? You're using KBA. You're using all the platforms that are out there that could do RIN that could still do a RIN and you incorporate it. That's why there's been a movement to get rid of RIN. And now we're starting to see a number of states starting to pick back up RIN. And I think that this could be a good segue into keeping digital closing momentum, getting people to RON is having secure RIN transactions. And there have been terms out there, a term called PRON. Jumbo PRON? <laughs> Jumbo PRON. The biggest you can get with a nice ribeye. What the heck was PRON? PRON was paper run. Oh, P-Ron. There are many people out there going, oh, here's state legislation for P-Ron. So what P-Ron is really RIN, and it got classified in the boat of RIN. So it's kind of a term that allowed people to dismiss doing a secure RIN. So I think that's one that we might see some momentum. We might not. 
but that could help drive things forward. So some sort of universal RON legislation that could help the movement. And it's just going to take everybody from all angles to get educated, start adopting the process. All the platforms that are out there now have the ability to do these transactions. We just need the audience and the adoption and the devotion to make it happen. Well, we do have in our audience a lot of folks who are very active advocates. So if we have agents listening who want to help influence the evolving legislation in their state or the amendment of executive orders in a more practically positive position for Ron Rin. Is that something that Pavasso can accompany them on or how can that work? Yes, absolutely. And we've done this a number of times where we helped out with Brady and Kosofsky doing the first Ron transaction in North Carolina. I can't tell you how many times we've jumped on and done demos for Secretary of State's. By all means, for any of our customers, whether it comes to influencing state legislation, doing a demo for a lender to try to say, hey, this is what we can do for you. We are happy to help facilitate, demo any of those, because that's really our goal here is to help the digital close movement. And with our title partners committed to doing it, we can answer the questions of the lenders. A lot of times they're going to get into security. We know how to answer those questions. They just need to maybe have an additional resource to bring all the parties on and make them feel comfortable. We certainly are on board with helping from any capacity we can with moving digital closings forward. Well, and I think anytime agents are involved in the breeding of legislation that has to do with the business, you know, unfortunately, these state legislators don't know what we do. They don't understand what the issues are, and yet they're supposed to do effective lawmaking around it. So the degree to which we can be at the table, help those be crafted in a way that allows the business to comport with it is certainly a positive and one of the big goals of the podcast is to get people a Rolodex of experts that they can reach out to in any given situation whether they're being proactive or if they need to react. So I'm glad to hear that that's something that Pavasa will work with folks on because I think that that's going to be important as we sort of come out of this COVID madness and start to mainstream some of these things and amend some of them that we know we're going to keep like digital closings. We are all on board with helping however we can and would love to see some sort of national uniform legislation. So anybody that's got access out there, we're happy to help in the state. And if we need to have a conversation with Secretary of State, we've done that uh, more times than I can count. We know how to help make it happen. And that's so cool because I think everybody's been able to absorb through this the pitching and yawing you've had to do on this COVID madness roller coaster. And it's your full-time job. So you can imagine how a settlement agent who doesn't live in that space every day, who, by the way, is busier than they've been in at least a decade, trying to understand all this, catch by what comes by in the media, all of that. You can imagine why they feel very daunted and aren't sure how relevant this should be in their life. So the extent to which you are able to help clear that up for people, I think is going to be very appreciated by those listening. There are a lot of questions too that they may get asked that they don't know the answers to. There are issues with security. Data privacy has been a big one. Still is a big concern and people should be concerned about. There are a lot of third parties who are very interested in obtaining data and how are you securing what? Because in a RON session, there is a lot of private information that can be collected and can be sold or transferred somewhere. So those are all things that we like to make sure we're addressing and certainly always guarantee that between Pavasso RamQuest that we are always maintaining the highest level of security and never selling or transferring that data to somebody else for a profit. Those are things out there that that also have curbed momentum in certain states. 
But we know how to answer those questions and into more of just the general security and compliance questions that states may be looking for help push it through because a lot of the title partners aren't going to know the answers to those. And they shouldn't have to. They just have to know where to go to get the answers, right? Yep. I hope my conversation with Brooks helped to lay a bit more foundation for you as you build up your floor of knowledge about the changing requirements and offerings surrounding e-closings. We'll bring you more voices and perspectives on this topic because you've said it's important to you. If you would like to have Brooks available in your stable of e-closing experts, you can reach him at B. Yeager, Y-E-A-G-E-R, at Pavaso, which is P-A-V-A-S-O dot com. Also, we want to hear which topics you'd like us to cover here at the podcast for future episodes. Please send your suggestions to me at mschuster at ramquest.com, or you can use our email address exclusively for pod listeners, which is podcasts with an S at ramquest.com. We'll keep the content coming your way, but we always want to know of what's of particular interest to you so we can be sure to cover that. Until next time, keep being essential. Get your vaccine as soon as you can, if you're so inclined, and we will stay right here with you because what you do really, really matters.